Hello, and welcome to episode number two of the Stories About Autism podcast. If this is your second episode, then thank you so much for coming back. Uh, I must have done something right in episode number one. If this is your first, then I'll just give you a quick intro into what this is about. My name's James, and I'm the dad of two boys, Tommy and Jude, and they're both autistic. I've been sharing stories about our lives online for around three years now, and it's enabled me to talk with thousands of people all around the world about autism. It's always fascinated me how different autism is for everybody I speak with, and I hope through this podcast to show you that to all of you listening to. Each week, I'll be joined by a special guest with a connection to autism, and they will tell their own story. I'm really excited this week to be joined by a good friend of mine, Charlie Beswick, who writes the blog Our Altered Life. Charlie is the mum to twin boys, Harry and Oliver, and Harry is autistic. One thing that a lot of you might not know is that often autism can be just one of a number of diagnoses that people have. And Harry's story is quite unique in that fact that he's been diagnosed with autism and golden heart syndrome. Now if you're like me you might be saying what's golden heart syndrome? I certainly hadn't heard anything about it until I discovered Charlie's blog and started reading her wonderful stories. So it's great in this episode to learn a little bit more about golden hearts as well as talk about autism and what that means for Harry and the rest of his family. So let's jump right in and get started. Here's Charlie telling her story, and I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. Charlie, hello. Hi. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. My pleasure. I know you were at the dentist earlier. You're uh, teeth all okay? You're going to be okay to speak uh, with us? It's all good. There's no dribbling going on this end. It's all fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so do you want to... Just take a minute or two and um, tell everyone a little bit more about you and your story. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, as James said, I am Charlie Beswick. I'm 39. I live in Stoke-on-Trent in Staffordshire and I have two boys, twins, Oliver and Harry. They turned 13 in June. Um, The boys were born prematurely at 32 weeks, uh, weighing £3.9. Everybody asks me how much they weigh, so that's that one. Um, And... I'd had a brilliant pregnancy, really healthy, great pregnancy. But then when the boys were born, about two, three hours afterwards, I'd, ha- I'd had to have an emergency cesarean. The paediatrician came to deliver some life-changing news. And I don't know, James, whether you want me to explain that bit now? or Yeah. Yeah. yeah? So they came and told me at that stage that Harry had a really rare craniofacial condition, which is called Golden Heart Syndrome. Uh, and for Harry, that meant that he'd got no eye, no eye socket, no ear no nostril, and a short, underdeveloped jaw. They also said that he may have brain damage or there would be implications for his brain functioning, and that he may not walk, that he could have heart problems, and there was only two arteries in his umbilical cord instead of three, so they sort of guessed at that time that he may have a problem with one of his kidneys as well. So I went from having a perfectly great pregnancy and being told on my scans that I'd got two perfectly healthy babies to finding out that I'd got two boys, one of which was born with this, you know, massive big health condition, really. So that was a huge shock for us. Yeah, I can imagine. And that was all within two hours of, of being born. Yeah, yeah. Within just a few hours, um, I went from, you know, elation of having the boys and they were whisked off to special care. I expected they would be with them being premature. Um, but yeah, the doctor then came and told me news that I, I could have never, ever expected because my pregnancy was healthy. I looked after myself. Um, yeah, and it just devastated me, if I'm honest. 
So what what were the first few weeks like after after they were born for you and, and the boys? Um, quite dark, um, very hectic. Harry, I had the boys at Macclesfield Hospital, which is South Cheshire, um, but Harry was taken to Manchester Hope Hospital in Salford um, for a week for more testing and things like that there because Mac is a small community hospital. So I didn't see Harry for the first week. I uh, spent the, the first week with Oliver on his own so kind of got to know him a little bit and bonded with him. But my head was just in a, a thick fog. I felt incredibly guilty, um, very grief stricken because, you know, you'll know you're a dad. You kind of plan the future for your children ahead and think about all the exciting things you'll do with them, the adventures they'll have, the, just everything. You, you you map out a life for them. Um, and naively, I just assumed that our life would be the same as anybody else's. And, and that was all taken away from us. So Ultimately, I felt very robbed, very guilty, and just not in a very good place for quite a while. I can imagine. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned a few times there about feeling guilty. What What was it you felt guilty about? I was convinced that I must have caused Harry syndrome. And the doctors came and said I hadn't. And a few consultants said that they didn't think it was a genetic condition and that they didn't think there was anything that I'd done in pregnancy that had caused the disfigurement. But I just couldn't shake the fact that, you know, I had a bleed when I was 10 weeks pregnant and I thought, was that it? When I bled, did that, was that the moment that everything changed for Harry? Um, did I eat something? Did I, you know, I just questioned. I literally took apart the seven months of a pregnancy day by day and really racked my brain because I, I, we had no answer that at that stage there was more questions than answers. And so I felt that I needed some sort of explanation, even if it had been something that I'd eaten or something that I'd done, at least I'd have known then. It was the whole not knowing just tortured me. And so, yeah, I just felt incredibly guilty and, and was convinced that I must have caused it somehow. And that stayed with me for, ooh, probably, uh, I don't know, six, seven more years. Wow. You know, it's not something that I shook easily. So obviously, uh, Harry's a very healthy young boy now. What what were those first few years like for him? I, I can imagine that there's a lot of time spent at hospital and yeah. So there was a lot of time um talking with well, there was a lot of scans first of all, just to find out the extent of the syndrome, which organs it had and hadn't affected. There was some operations in the first two years of his life to try and create an eye socket that was done at Birmingham Children's Hospital, but unfortunately it went wrong. So um, I decided to transfer, well, me and his dad decided to transfer his care to Alder Hay in Liverpool, which is where he is, you know, he's under their care now and they've been fantastic. And I would like to give them a shout out because they've had a little bit of bad press lately with a few, um, you know, sort of news grabbing yeah. headlines, but they have been nothing but outstanding with me and, and Harry. So, yeah, and there was lots of then appointments from physiotherapists, speech and language, um, uh, occupational health. Obviously, you've got health visitors. As he got older, it was vision, uh, visual impairment team. So, yeah, you name it. We had a whole catalogue of professionals supporting and helping us, really. So, I mean, I hadn't heard anything about Golden Heart Syndrome until I sort of stumbled across your blog. Um, and I'm sure yeah. it's the same for, for many people out there. How how rare is it? Um, figures vary. I think we're looking at one in uh, 300,000, something like that okay. at the moment. So very yeah. rare. A little bit more prevalent in America, but I don't know if that's just because there's a bigger population. So, you know, that kind of figures. Um, but, yeah, it is very rare. It's very unusual. And sometimes, and it presents itself differently in different children. So some children might just have the ear missing. Some children might have 
their mouth may not form properly. Some children have spinal problems. Um, and although it's not known what caused the syndrome, one very strong theory is that for some reason the blood supply is interrupted to the fetus between six and 12 weeks of development and whichever part is developing at that time gets affected, which is why some children have more organs or more structure affected than others. So for Harry, uh, although he does look very different, we are fortunate in that it's not an internal issue. So it's not his heart, it's not okay. his spine, mobility is fine. But obviously as he got older, um, he kind of kept up with Oliver for a little while and then his development started to lag behind and he started de to demonstrate the typical behaviours that I now know are associated with autism. Um, but back at the time, at that time, we weren't quite sure how much of what he was doing was because of the golden heart, because of the sensory seeking or, you know, um, sort of, I don't know, getting used to his surroundings. It was just a big sort of guessing game for us, really. I mean, you mentioned the autism, obviously, that why yeah. I've got you on here today. So Harry obviously has more than one diagnosis. When when did autism sort of first show up or, or become something that, that you thought might be the case? Um, so I went back to work when the boys were six months old, so quite early really. I think that was for my sanity as much as anything else. And so the boys were put into nursery, a great setting. The nursery were brilliant. But because he was then with other children, it soon became apparent over the next 12, 18 months that he wasn't interacting with any children. He couldn't even tolerate children around him. And again, that was we didn't know whether that was a vision thing. You know, people approaching from the left-hand side, he can't see them yeah. anyway, and, and can startle him. Uh, so we kind of, it was a very much, let's just watch him and see how he develops. So we've got this, you know, I mean, when he went for his diagnosis, the triad of impairments that you'll be aware of. And he didn't want anybody around him. He wasn't great at mixing. He wasn't great at, so, at socialising. He didn't make eye contact. But again, he'd only got one eye, so we didn't know if that was something to do with it. Yeah. Um, he'd got very rigid and rep repetitive behaviours, so a lot of rocking, um, a lot of flapping his hands and banging his chest, uh, the Tarzan move, we like to call <laughs> it. So there was a lot of that. But he'd got a real startling aptitude for things like his phonics board. So anything that was concrete... He was great with, so he knew numbers, he knew his letters, he knew his colours. Um, he could play the piano from when he was about 18 months really? old. Wow. Because, yeah, because the keys were all, are obviously, they're very regular, yeah. they're very concrete. So he liked those sorts of things. So he couldn't talk, but if I said to him, Harry, where's number two? He would press number two really quickly. So it was clear that there was more going on cognitively than he was able to express. So I think after a while, the nursery was saying, you know, look, yes, some of these behaviours could be because of the golden heart syndrome, because of the visual impairment and the hearing impairment. But we actually think it's worth getting him tested and assessed for autism because we think that's probably more likely um, as, an, as a, an explanation for his behaviours. And so it went from there, really. And he was quite young, only about two years old when we started the process. So it started. you started the process at around two years old. How, how quickly did you get a diagnosis for Harry? Um, Harry was almost three by the time we got the diagnosis. So probably I would say about nine months all in all with the consultants coming and, and observing him at home, observing him in the play setting, writing the reports, you know, sort of compiling it all together. It's, it's a lengthy, it was a lengthy process for us. Um, and so, yeah, he was almost three when we got the diagnosis of autism. 
you mentioned obviously when when you first found out about golden heart syndrome it was it was obviously such a shock and and it yeah. stirred up all these feelings in you what did that differ at all when you got the autism diagnosis yes and no i know i came out of the um the, the room where we'd been diagnosed uh, and i just sobbed in the car i just broke my heart because it just felt like another thing that he'd have to deal with it just felt like another label to, to put on him and at, at that time I was you know as many people are when before they've met children with autism and, and experienced autism I kind of felt that it was a real limiting sentence for him and so I, I just felt what future has he got now he's going to look different forever he's not going to socialize will he make friends will he ever have a girlfriend and so you kind of, all the bigger picture implodes a little bit for a minute. And then I just have to think, well, do you know what? It doesn't change the boy he is. doesn't change my child. He's still the same boy that he was yesterday. And we just need to take a day at a time and try and move forward with that and, and support him the best I can. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how you know, I, I felt the same when you get that diagnosis. You project yourself so many years in the future and start worrying about things yeah. like girlfriends and jobs and being able to focus on the day-to-day really makes such a difference. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think it's just taking things a day at a time and just remembering to breathe mm. and, and, you know, just focus in the here and now and not worry about what may or may not happen in the future. And that's really hard to do, yeah. um, you know, particularly when you want the best for your children. It's really hard to think that the best might be an alternate now than what you planned for, not necessarily any less, but just different. And I think it takes time to get your head around that. That different doesn't always mean worse. Yeah, definitely. So you said uh, Harry is, he's 13 already or he's nearly 13? Is that right? Nearly 13, yes, 13 in June. Okay, so how how's life changed for him over sort of the last 10 years? Like what what's some of the experiences you've been through with him? Oh, wow. Okay, so when he was very little, he was totally nonverbal. So we had a lot of frustration, a lot of head banging. A lot of meltdowns, um, as you know, that somebody in the street would call a tantrum. But as you know, with, with autism, a meltdown is very different. And I'm not saying he doesn't have tantrums because at the end of the day, he is a yeah. child. Um, and he, you know, he did know what he wants. And sometimes if he didn't get what he wanted, he would stamp his feet and have a tantrum. But a meltdown is very different. You know, that's the result for, for Harry of a lot of overstimulation and a, just not being able to process everything um, properly. So we had a lot of meltdowns a lot of head banging. Um, he's gone through some self-harming. He's gone through a lot of, he likes cause and effect. So he found out that by throwing things at his brother and making his brother scream, he found that hilarious. So we, we had a phase of, of him really, you know, whacking Oliver and loving it, really, if, if I'm honest. And for Oliver, that was just awful because that was the only way his brother really interacted with him for a while. Yeah. Um, and he'd break his heart and he'd say, Harry doesn't even like me, mum. He doesn't love me. He doesn't even like me. And, and to explain to a four or five-year-old what's going on is really difficult. And so, you know, we've got that sibling issue going on as well. They were twins. I assumed they'd have this twin bond. And, and it came very, very late in the game for my boys because Harry just could not process things very well. But as, as his language improved slightly and he was able to make his needs known a bit better, then his behaviour did calm slightly. So I would say between the ages of about six and 11, um, he, he was much calmer. We'd have the odd meltdown and he would struggle with communication and things. 
but it wasn't too bad. And then we started, my boys, unfortunately, have hit puberty very early. And so now we're going through the hormonal side of things. So on top of Harry's internal frustration, he's now becoming aggressive and he's very, very strong. Yeah. So he is fiercely strong. And when he when he does go, it's quite scary, really, for me now as his mum, because it was easy to manage when he was six and I was, however old I was, 32. But, you know, I'm getting older now and thinking, crikey, how am I going to cope when he's 30 and I'm 56? So, you, again, you know, propelling yourself forward and doing it again there. But what you do, you kind of catch yourself thinking, oh, my days, what, what's life going to be like then for us? So at the moment, we're just trying to deal with his meltdowns and his behaviour and contain him a little bit during the puberty years. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it will will ride this storm and it will calm again for a while until the next sort of developmental stage that he goes through, either mentally or physically, because they're not in line with each other. Yeah. So Harry obviously is a prepubescent teenage boy but in his head he's maybe functioning around three or four years old and he just has no idea what's going on with his body so it's particularly scary for him at the moment yeah puberty is definitely a stage that i'm not looking forward to <laughs> with, with with my it's team. horrible I, I, yeah i didn't expect it to be like this to be honest uh yeah it's not it's not fun you mentioned with, with the meltdowns that a lot of it uh before was was due to lack of communication how's harry managed to communicate uh sort of over the years have have you used different uh therapies or or methods we tried yeah we tried um pex boards and that had limited success with him he's he's very stubborn uh so he kind of picks and chooses what works for him makerton didn't really work we tried that for a while so so that's like sign language some signs worked but then he's feisty and he prefers to try and speak he doesn't particularly want to rely on other things so he abandoned Makaton and, re- and wouldn't use it. And then we tried um, laminated pictures. So we had all around the house, we had laminated pictures of everything he might need. And that really helped because we, when we took actual photographs, so they weren't Google images, they were real photographs of his. We had a blue beaker. So there was that. We had um, actual the biscuits that he actually likes. We had the nappies that he actually wore. Um and we took photographs and we just laminated them and stuck them at his level all around the kitchen. And if he wanted something or we could tell there was something going on, we'd take him in and we'd ask him. And after a while, and it was a while, 12 months, you know, he didn't pick things up that quickly with those sort of things. And he would then pick the picture off and give it to you. And at that point, then we could associate it with the words. So then we were saying, cup, Harry, or good drink, you know, things like that. So he, he's now taken that into his older life. And we'll ask for things like drink, biscuits. Uh, what else will he ask for? Remotes. He's obsessed with remote controls. <laughs> uh, batteries. Random things like that. So, yeah. And actually, YouTube has been quite a good tool for Harry. So he watches, as lots of children do, uh, other children playing with things on YouTube. And he used to copy a lot of the phrases um, often in an American accent, so you'd hear him <laughs> "Oh my God!" and like, "Oh no, he caught that on YouTube." And and at the moment he says, um, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" That's like yeah. his thing at the moment. Uh, but you know, it's all helping him a little bit, and yeah. um, so I think that's been quite a good tool for him as well. And he used to watch people. I've mentioned he's got an obsession with remote controls that started probably about three years ago, um, and he used to watch people making videos on YouTube and talking to the camera. And then we came in one day and he turned his iPad round to face him and was actually videoing himself. Wow. Holding control, talking absolute gibberish, but, you know, perfect sense to him. 
just making his own little YouTube video, and it just blew me away. You know, the, the little things yeah. are massive things and real kind of cause for celebration, really, in what would have been just a normal day-to-day thing for Oliver. So, yeah, I would say we, we've kind of progressed from sign language, which we tried with limited success, to the the pictures and the images, to then associating it with, with the language and just trying to get him to prompt him to use those occasional words. And and so, yeah, we've, we've got, he's got a decent vocab at the moment. Although if he wants to communicate anything to us, we have to give him a choice. So, for example, at the dinner table, I'll say, Harry, do you want to drink? Yes or no? You know, if I said to him, do you want a drink? He would just ignore me. Mm. Okay. Um, and I'll say, Harry, drink? Yes or no? And, I, and he'll say yes. Then I'll say water or juice? Um, and then he'll he'll choose one. So I try and facilitate a bit of choice around him, but I have to give him options. So it sounds like really it's it's adapting to his needs, and you found a way that that by asking him simple questions that he'll he'll respond. And and obviously you, yeah. you know him so well, you know the the sort of things that that he'd need and and what he'd like. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the misconceptions with autism is that one strategy will suit mm. all children, and that's absolutely not true because they are individual people. And just and I'm a primary school teacher and I'm and I the school that I worked in was a really tough school in an area with a lot of deprivation. And so we had a lot of children that came with their issues, a lot of child protection cases. And just for them, the same as Harry, you know, what worked for one child wouldn't work for all. And actually what works for one child won't work with them yeah. forever. So it very much is about knowing the children, working with what suits them at that time. And not being so rigid of thought that you can't change that as they grow older and develop. Um, I think you have to really think on your feet as an autism parent and adapt to to them as well. Yeah, that's right. Especially, I, I mean, I found there's there's so many different therapies and miracle uh, interventions yeah. that that people use that that make such a huge difference, and you find yourself struggling to know what which one to follow and whether you're yeah. making the right choice. Yeah, and it's almost sort of information overload mm. at some points. And I think, you know, as an autism parent, as much as a, a neurotypical parent, you can be judged by by others for trying things or not trying things. Or, you know, I've got a, a cousin with MS who manages hers purely through diet, and she's incredibly strict with her diet. And I know she's had grief for doing that, but it works yeah. for her. And that's what she chooses to, to keep her symptoms controlled. And I know there are some studies and, and people that rate certain diets to help with autism. But as with anything, you know, with Harry, it's low sugar. It's things like that. We try and avoid sugary foods as we do with Oliver. But, yeah, sometimes there is information overload out there about what you can or can't or should or shouldn't be trying. And I think ultimately it's about doing what's what's best for your child and your family. And as long as they are developing, happy and healthy, I think as parents, we're doing a great job. Definitely. I mean, everything for, that I see from your Facebook pages and Instagram pages is, you know, Harry seems to be thriving and, and a very happy young boy. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, you'll know it, it, it can be quite disheartening sometimes. Well, for me, I don't know. You know, I don't I'll say you know. You might not. You might not experience this or feel this. But with Harry, he plateaus such a, for such a long time in his development. And I'll put things in and I'll try strategies and there seems to be no improvement or change. And then all of a sudden his development will spike and it's rapid. It's like boom, 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 boom. He's chatting more. So, for example, over the last literally six weeks, he's gone from being quite placid and allowing me to get him dressed in the morning to 
picking out his own clothes, falling out with me because he doesn't want to put his school clothes on, he wants <laughs> jeans on, locking me out of the bathroom and slamming the door in my face because I'm trying to get his school uniform on. And he's turned into this feisty diva overnight. <laughs> and I'm like, where's that come from? But then I forget that for the last 12 months, I've been encouraging him to make choices. I've been encouraging him to pick his own clothes. And, and sometimes you can feel like it's falling on deaf ears, yeah. that you're getting nowhere. And you just think, is this ever going to change? You know. And then all of a sudden, it's like, bam, all your hard work pays off in a few weeks. And it's like, wow, I'm not, I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> and it kind of comes back to bite you. So, yeah, we're, we're having the diva phase right now. Yeah. It's all good Brilliant. fun. I know, obviously, uh, for your feed, like most autism parents, celebrate the small achievements yeah. that, that obviously mean so much. What's some of the things that you've shared that are maybe small for most families, but has, has really yeah. resonated with, with the people you talk to? Yeah. Um, I love you is a big one. Mm. Uh, Harry doesn't tell me spontaneously. He doesn't tell anybody spontaneously that he loves them. And I'm sure he does. But with Harry, there's a lot of um, echolalia. So I will say, Harry says... I love you. And sometimes he will repeat the Harry says bits as well. So he'll just say, Harry says, I love you. I say, no, no, you say, I love you. And then he's like, oh dear, I love you. And so we get that um, quite a lot. And sometimes I'm aching for him to just, when I give him a kiss and I say, night, night. And he say, night, night. I just wanted to say, love you, mummy. And he never, ever has. But the other night I came downstairs and he was on the sofa cuddled up with Oliver. And I just sat down next to Oliver. And sort of, Harry was in the middle of both Oliver and me. And um, they were snuggled up and Harry just said, love you, Oliver. Love you, Oliver. And Oliver kind of looked at me with his big eyes, and I looked at him, and we were like, oh, "It's just it's you." And, and it's like, "Oh my God, he's, he said it. He's just done it on his own." And I don't know whether we'll hear it again or when, but it's like, "Oh my days, he's done it." And, and it's tiny, you know. But then it's tiny for other people, but yeah. massive for us. And, and I'm so thrilled that it was Oliver that he said it to first, because Oliver's been so desperate for this, you know, confirmation that his brother loves him. That of all the people I could have picked for Harry to utter those first words to, I'm so thrilled it was Oliver. And then we t- I took Oliver to his parents' evening on Thursday, and I didn't have anyone to have Harry, so I took Harry with me. And um, we were talking to Oliver's English teacher, and Harry was drawing on a piece of paper, just drawing circles on a piece of paper. And I said, write your name, because he's been able to write Harry for a long time. So he just wrote Harry really big, and I said, good boy. But I was obviously talking to the teacher and talking to Oliver about his grades and things. And then Harry just grabbed my hand and put it on the paper, and he'd written Mom. No way. And I was like, oh, and I meant I didn't even put, this is exclusive for you, James. (laughs) I have not even put that on the page. But, you know, and you just think, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So little things like that blows you away and really makes you realise that there's a connection there that they appreciate as much as you do. Mm. Um, yeah, there's loads of, I mean, the, the clothes thing was always a, a big one. Uh, and I put him in, my sister got married recently on, on Friday, actually. And I put Harry in a suit before we, we went to the wedding a, a few weeks before just to try it on. And I stood him in front of the mirror and I said, what do you think? And he said, so smart. <laughs> like, wow, my God, you are really smart, Harry. And you, I, mean, you, I could just totally envelop him and, and kiss him to death. You yeah. know, he's like, get off. But it's just, yeah, amazing. I have no words for how exciting that makes, how excited that makes me, because you do have the challenges as well. Mm. So yeah, life with Harry excites me to the point where, and I'm sorry if I'm waffling on you, just have to stop me if I am. That when the boys turn 13 in June, Oliver has always been fascinated with Rome, so I'm taking him to Rome for a few days as a surprise. I've saved for about 16 months, sort of squirrelled money away, and I'm taking him there. But I hate doing things 
individually as much as I need it. So I'm taking Harry away for a weekend for his birthday to the clock museum in Nottingham because he's now into clocks. And I am equally excited about doing both. I can't say, you know, that just because I'm going to Italy with Oliver, that excites me more because I know that Harry, that will mean something to Harry. And he might not show me at the time and he might not show me on the day. And when he opens the presents and I say to him, you're going to a hotel with mummy and we're going to see some clocks. He'll just look at me as if to say, just give me a remote control woman and shut up. <laughs> you know, but I know when we're there, he will love it. And maybe six, 12 months later, he'll have a way of showing me that he appreciated it. Yeah. So it's kind of those building blocks with Harry that I don't think, I don't take anything for granted and I don't expect anything straight away. Um, but it all means the world. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. You can sort of tap into the, the special interests that he has and yeah. find a way to, to do things like that, to, you know, to visit a clock museum. To... Yeah. As long as he doesn't shout cock like he does. <laughs> yeah. I've seen that before. <laughs> Instead of cock. <laughs> and then when we were, so again, you know, he makes me laugh because when we go shopping, if he wants to buy something, I'll say, no, we have to go and give it to the lady. So I'm sorry to all the men check out people out there. Um, but yeah, I said, we have to pay the lady first. So when we went to B&M recently and he got a clock off the, the shelf, he took yeah. it himself, and, and he's running down the aisles like, you know, cue the Benny Hill music. And I'm running after him saying, Harry, you can't. And he's shouting, cock, cock, lady, lady, cock, <laughs> cock. And I'm like mortified. And I'm like, sorry, he's calling for a checkout assistant. He's not, you know, he's not a deviant. Um, so, yeah, we, we have lots of fun as well. Yeah, that no, sounds like it. You mentioned a few times there about Oliver and sort of the relationship that, that him and Harry have. And yeah. uh, I, I know I've read some posts before, you know, about how proud you are of him and, and sort of what a great brother he is to Harry. How did you first explain things to him? There's an in- interesting chapter in my book. If you've not read that, then it's I'll explain it. But when Harry was, when Oliver was very confused about Harry's behaviour, and I'd say, I would say, listen, Harry's just a little bit special. And I didn't know what else to say. I, didn't, I couldn't explain to a, a three-year-old as he was then, three, four-year-old, what autism was. And I didn't, it didn't say that he was wired differently or anything like that. I just said he was a little bit special. And after a while, Oliver said to me, Mummy, you always say that Harry's special. Why aren't I special? Aww. And you think, wow, I've been saying special all this time, meaning different, yeah. unusual quirky you know his appearance and and Oliver had taken that as that I meant Harry was more precious and it absolutely killed me and I and I just had to say to him I don't mean it like that Oliver I said you know Harry is different to anybody else and he was saying yes but he's my brother and I said he is but he's, he's really different and I love him and I love you because sometimes when I feel like feel like I'm getting everything wrong with Harry you're the one that makes me feel like I'm getting it right and he was like oh okay thank you mummy so it kind of went from there. And then as he got older, I was able to explain his brain is wired a little bit differently than yours. And I was always careful not to use the word special after that. I tell them they're both special and precious now. But for a long time, it made me quite nervous about using the phrase. And so I just said, you know, he thinks a little bit differently. But I would also point out the good things that he could do. So I might say, you know, but he can't tell you that he loves you. He, he feels it inside, but he can't tell you because he doesn't have the words like you do. But he can play the piano and he knows his numbers. And so I tried to give Oliver something to be proud of with Harry rather than, you know, him just being this twin brother that gave nothing back. Yeah. Um, so it, it was really hard to try and almost create a relationship between Oliver and Harry without Harry being involved. 
Um, so it was quite exhausting for a while because I was plugging away Team Harry. You know, he does love you. He is there for you. Meanwhile, Harry's hurtling stuff at Oliver's head to get a reaction and laughing his head off. And uh, so, yeah, I tried to be all things to Oliver at that stage. Uh, and his dad didn't particularly explain it very well. I-, I think Oliver just, from a very early age, had a lot of conflicting information and a lot of emotions around his relationship with Harry. I don't think it was the most positive start. Yeah. And so how did things change for him? Because like, from everything I see now, they, they seem to get on really well. So and yeah. I know obviously you said things changed as as Harry got a bit older and, and sort of started to understand a bit more. But how did Oliver sort of uh, stay in that same place and, and keep being a, a really good brother to him? I think a couple of things happened. Oliver became acutely aware of the comments that people were giving to Harry about his face. Right. So when we would be out and about, um, people would be staring, they'd whisper, a lot of laughing, a lot of pointing, a lot of following us around. And I don't know what you were like with your family, but for me, I can slag my family off. But if you dare, then you've got me to answer to. Yeah. And I think it was, you know what I mean? It was a case of that. Oliver, Harry could annoy Oliver, but the minute he saw people being nasty about him, he got really defensive. And so that started quite early. I would say Oliver would be about five, six when he started to notice other people. Um, and he got really defensive. So then he became almost Harry's protector. Mm. And it was more important that he protected Harry than the fact that Harry didn't always show them that he loved him. So we had that for quite a while. But even at that stage, they almost coexisted. Harry didn't particularly interact with Oliver that much. And then I would probably say the last three years, two or three years, Oliver's been a, more affectionate towards, uh, sorry, Harry's been more affectionate towards Oliver. They do things together. They uh, tolerate each other more. Harry occasionally will ask for Oliver. Uh, and it's clear that he misses him. So like um, the boy's dad will take Oliver away on holiday. And so me and Harry will talk about Oliver. And when Oliver comes back, Harry's always very huggy and very kissy with him now. And so I think that combination of Oliver being his protector and Harry warming or defrosting almost towards Oliver has been a really nice recipe to, to cement their bond. And, you know, as you say, Oliver's an incredible brother with him now. You know, really, really good boy. Yeah, I'm always really impressed by as I said, the, the bond they seem to have yeah. and just how well they seem to get on. I mean, you spoke there about people staring. Um, yeah. Now, I know this is something that happens for a lot of families with autistic children and autistic yeah. adults as well because of behaviours that, that they might have when they're out in public. Yeah. And obviously for Harry, it was, it was because of uh, the Goldhaar syndrome as well. How did you cope with that? Do you know what I think? The, it's funny because the golden heart and the autism together, traditionally children that have golden heart syndrome have no cognitive impairment at all, no cognitive issues. So the fact that all of, that Harry has got golden heart and autism is a double whammy. Yeah. So in some ways that's twice as hard. And in other ways it can be a blessing because because of the autism, Harry is oblivious to the stares, the points, the whispers, the cruelty, the nasty things that people can do and say. So, you know, I'm grateful to the autism for that. But then because of the golden heart, when he, when Harry is ha- having his massive meltdowns, so for example, we went out about a year ago and Harry, I could see Harry getting quite agitated. And I said to my partner, Andrew, I think we need to go soon. And before we could even get up off the table, Harry just went rigid and was kicking people away from me and was screaming. And at this point, you know, he's, he's quite a big boy. He's not as big as um, he should be for his age. But say, imagine looks about sort of eight, nine year old. 
essentially having what other people would call a massive temper tantrum. And so he's kicking, he's hitting me, he's headbutting me as I'm trying to stand behind him to, to try and restrain him is too strong a word, but do you know what I mean? Try and comfort yeah. him a little bit. And the amount of people that tutted and then like muttered and then turned and looked at him and went, oh, okay, and looked away as if to say, oh, that naughty boy needs a smack, as, as people do. And, and any parent with an autistic child will be, will be used to that kind of look that they get from parents. But it's also almost like they looked over, saw that Harry looked different mm. and kind of put it down to that and went, oh, okay. So Golden Heart is a bit like our get out of jail card when it comes to an autism meltdown. And so where autism saves Harry from the from the knowledge that people can be cruel about how he looks, Golden Heart kind of saves me a little bit from the judgmental parents. And I can imagine, I can only imagine how hard it is when children look typically looking yeah. kids. And they're having a massive meltdown because parents are so, and people are so quick to judge and they're so quick to think it's naughty child syndrome or a good smack will sort that baby out like it did in my day and all those dated attitudes. So yeah, I guess I have it better than some in that case, in that instance. But certainly we do, we do have the judgments and the tutting and the eye raising and things like that until people see that Harry looks different and then they kind of go, oh, okay, we'll let him off then. I mean, that, that's really interesting. I've, I've often thought that just from from Jude and Tommy because Jude wears ear defenders. Um, yeah. People seem to make more allowances for Jude than than Tommy doing exactly the same behaviour. Yeah. It's, it's like they spot the ear defenders and think, oh, okay, he's, he's different. Yeah. And it's a shame that it takes that. It's a shame mm. that, you know, we need to make our children visibly different to explain what's happening to them. But then also we're in a society where a lot of children's behaviour is down to poor parenting. True. And and so I, so I do understand people being judgmental. You know, like I say, as a teacher, I've seen children that have responded really well to structure and routine and then gone home to parents that will quite openly call them swear words in front of the children with me. And and, and I've been in a position where I've said, you do, can I swear on this podcast, James, or not? <laughs> Go for it. Okay. So I have, I have been in positions with parents and said, you do realise if you call your child a little shit, that's how they'll behave with you. I don't ever call your child that, even when they're playing yeah. up. But if you continue calling them that, then that's all they'll be. You know, and, I, I, and so I can understand parents judging in a way, because we do live in a society where teachers aren't allowed to, to punish kids anymore. Um, I now work in a high school, and if a teacher dares tell a pupil off, the parents are on the phone saying, why have you put, why have you given my child a detention? Why is my daughter in isolation? And the teacher saying, well, she told me to F off. Yes, well, she told you to F off because such a body was calling her names. And I'm like, hang on a minute. You can't justify your children speaking like that. So I, I feel in a, in a way we're in a society where parenting is breaking down and children, some children are kind of just ruling the roost and being a little bit unruly. So I do understand that parents would think, oh, it's a naughty child. But what I don't understand is that, you know, people are so intolerant and so mm. judgmental. And there is no need to be tutting and raising your eyes and, and huffing and things like that. And we as parents shouldn't have to have a T-shirt that says, I am autistic. Please understand this is a meltdown, not a tantrum for people to be understanding and show some compassion. So I think it's, we're in a tricky age at the moment. I, I don't understand what, what people think tutting and uh, rolling their eyes or even, you know, the, the very helpful comments you get, <laughs> how oh, that's yeah. going to help the situation. And I think people are very quick to forget that actually... 
you know, there is no magic wand to parenting. Nobody gets it right 100% of the time. And those people that are tutting and raising their eyebrows and giving you the helpful comments that are never helpful uh, probably didn't get it right with their kids 100% of the time either. But people have a selective memory. Yeah. Um, and instead of thinking, actually, does that person need some help? They just think, well, I'll give them a piece of my mind or I'll just sit here and judge them. And actually, that doesn't help anybody. So when did you first decide to start telling your story about you and your family? Mm, that's a good question. When the boys were about 18 months old, I read a magazine article about a, a woman who'd had a baby with Treacher Collins syndrome, which is the syndrome that Augie has in the film and book called Wonder, if any of your listeners have, have seen that. Um, and she wrote that she had fallen in love with this baby. He looked very different, but she was determined to love him and she felt this overwhelming maternal urge to protect him. And I had not felt like that at all. I felt completely the opposite when Harry was born. And I thought, wow, if I'd have read that article just after my boys had been born, when I was feeling terrible anyway, I probably would have felt even worse. So at that point, I kind of started keeping diaries, making notes. And when the boys were about three, I started writing it down as a book, not knowing at the time whether I would do anything with it, whether it would just be a cathartic exercise for me. And then I left teaching for a while and had some time on my hands and decided to wrap it up together. Again, not quite sure whether I was going to make it a book. But as I got to the end of it and, and asked a couple of friends to read it, they just said, you really need to publish this. It's so brutally honest that it's refreshing to read against the tales of, yes, I was an instant mother, stepwife, you know, everything was great for me and it was all rosy. So I decided then to publish it. But then I got the bug for writing. And I thought, I don't want this to be the end. I don't want to publish the book and never write anything down again. Yeah. So I started the Facebook page to, to share things on Facebook. And then I thought, oh, I might try to have a go at this blogging malarkey and see if that sort of, if anybody reads it. So, and that's how the blog started, really. So for me, the book really is for the mums that were lost, like me, right at the beginning of a journey and need somebody to say to them, do you know what, this is shit, but it won't always feel like this, and it, it does get better when at, at a time when people are just trying to be so positive, and I understand that, but sometimes you just need a reality check of somebody saying it's okay to grieve, it's okay to feel bad, just don't live there. Yeah. You know, it, that's okay, you're allowed to feel that, but let's move on. Um, so the books for that, the Facebook page is for everybody because we have a real giggle with Harry's prosthetic eye and ear that come off and fall off and get stuck <laughs> everywhere. Um, and then the blog is for anybody that wants an insight into life with autism, golden heart, anxiety, because Oliver does have some anxiety. So I, I hope that I kind of, I'm trying to reach as many people as I can and give them a little bit of an insight into our altered life. Um, and then obviously I've set up a charity as well. So I'm going into schools and delivering workshops and assemblies on facial disfigurement and that's going down really well as well yeah i've seen some of those on your on your instagram you're talking about that so so obviously i'm guessing the inspiration for that was was to spread awareness um about children like harry and adults like harry what's the reaction when you go into schools it, it's overwhelmingly positive i i did a degree in psychology back in 2001 and so when i set up the charity i took that knowledge that sort of information and that those skills from my degree and I have employed an analyst and we do pre and post measures so we do a questionnaire before I go in and do the assembly and then we do one afterwards and the percentage increase in awareness and understanding is phenomenal people didn't know that you could be born with a facial disfigurement people didn't know the reasons why if they saw somebody in the street they might have a facial disfigurement because I talk about things like 
Golden Heart, Fletcher Collins, Apert syndrome, um, burns, acid attacks, uh, facial cancers, acne scars, and all the, the very different reasons why people can look a little bit different. Um, and we talk a lot about what a face really tells us and some of the most inspirational people who look the most different. And I also show them some of the online abuse that we've had from trolls and people on Instagram in particular. And that always shocks people. They are always very stunned to see the sort of things that people have said to us. And at that point, I do talk to them about, you know, not there's no there's nothing good and great about hiding behind a keyboard and slating somebody or being nasty to somebody else, whether they've got a facial disfigurement or not. You know, um, and we talk about the keyboard warriors. And I am as a person, I'm pretty blunt um but i do say to the kids you know if you're doing that then that just makes you scum like they are and every time i say i think some teacher is going to absolutely kill me at the end of this family <laughs> saying that line but nobody ever has and they've all come and said you know wow that's really clearly made an impact on some of these children some have got upset and, yeah. and come to me at the end but that's that's what they need they need a message that's got an impact that stays with them and ultimately for me i, I talk to them about the reality that one day I'm going to die and leave Harry without me. And that's a really hard reality to face. And that's hard enough with him just having his autism and not you know, being able to function socially very well, if at all. But the fact that he looks really different when he's little, Harry's cute. Yeah. Um, and as he gets older, he's going to become a target or he potentially could become a target. And he could become somebody that a local neighborhood might decide is the local thing of fascination and interest. And I don't want that for my son. So another reason for me doing the Facebook page is almost, and Instagram, Instagram's a great example, actually, is almost to desensitize people to Harry's face and so that they can see his personality and they stop seeing what he looks like and they start seeing him for a little boy. And Instagram, as I say, was the platform that I used to get the most abuse on. And we've got a great social media following over there now. Uh, and some people will say... Um, when I found your account, I did wonder why Harry looked so different. And now I don't even notice. And I'm like, yes, that is what I want for my boy. That is it. So everything that I do has always got that at the heart of it, really, and in the back of my mind, that it's just trying to leave my corner of the world a little bit better for my boy when I'm not here. I think that's such a good point that Harry is who he is. And I think when you when you see so many pictures of Harry, you do see past the the, the, the disfigurement you you know you yeah. see him as as the boy that he is so it's fantastic yeah. that your followers are thinking the same as well yeah and i also do say to them you know it's okay to feel startled when you see harry mm. ha harry is not i'm not one of these parents that says you know yes he looks different but you should see past that because we're such a superficial society and we do look at people you know we do you don't get a second chance to make a first impression is one of the most famous sayings you know, people are curious when they look at Harry, but they're often that curiosity and those stares and whispers are often rooted in just no knowledge. And as soon as they have got a little bit of understanding and they meet him, they kind of go, oh, OK, that makes sense. And they forget to see the differences or they see them less. And so I'm always very happy for people to um, ask me questions and to come and talk to me about things, because I think if you're raising awareness, as you're doing with the podcast, it can only ever be a good thing. Yeah. And, and that's it. I, I think, you know, awareness is great, but it's that, you know, people know what autism, they've heard of autism, but it's actually having some kind of understanding to yeah. to be able to um, create some kind of difference for people. It's, yeah. And it must be exactly you, the same. You need the awareness first and then the acceptance comes. Mm. You know, you, you need both to run alongside each other. I know there is an argument that 
we shouldn't have autism awareness day it should be autism acceptance day but i think and i get that but i think people need to understand before they can accept with anything yeah with a marriage breakdown you know you need to understand what went wrong for me my marriage broke down i got divorced we needed to understand why it broke down for me to then accept it and move on you know, with any sort of illness, you need to understand what is happening within your body before you can accept and, and move on from, from things. And I don't think autism and golden horror are any different. I think people have questions. We are, you know, we're curious by nature. And I think once people have got those questions answered and they've got some information, then they can accept things because they've got a platform that they can actually use. I know uh, you was mentioning just a minute ago on, about the abuse you received on Instagram um, and I think was it last year that something happened and you kind of went viral as they say and uh, ended up in different media outlets yeah it's crazy yeah so do you want to tell um, everyone a little bit about that yeah so Harry has prosthetic eye and he I mean the operations that he's been through to, to get that eye is incredible he's had his skull taken apart twice he's had um, the, the skin taken out of the inside of his mouth to create what is called a wet socket or his eye socket opposed to the skin grass from his legs to create a dry socket I just thought when he was born with no eye you could paint a ping pong ball and pop one in there and jobs, <laughs> you know, job's done sadly it's not that easy so you know he's been through a lot and but he so he's not got his false eye in and I was giving him a kiss on the sofa and I, I took a selfie of him giggling while I was kissing him and I posted it on Instagram because I'm really proud of his face yeah. and it doesn't it doesn't look as graphic as it sounds but I went and loads of people had liked it I think about three and a half thousand people had liked the image and I got some lovely comments and then I went two days later to check and Instagram had taken the image down and they said that it didn't meet some of their community guidelines and I was like what my son's face offends you and they'd done this previously so this was in September last year but they'd also done it in the August of 2017 as well now in August I'd emailed Instagram and asked them for an explanation, but never heard anything back. So when they did it again in September, I thought, I'm not having this. I'll go on Twitter and see if that will get a reaction from Instagram, if they'll explain to me why they're taking it down. So that's why I posted the image, to just try and get Instagram to explain. But lo and behold, it just went insane. I think we were on something like 78,000 likes and over 120,000 retweets. And so we were on Good Morning Britain with Ben Shepherd and Susanna Reid. We were in all of the press, international, Australia, America, all over the shop, just talking about whether, you know, his face is offensive and whether they can judge whether his face is offensive or not. And somebody had complained, somebody had reported the image, which is where it all transpired, that it all come from. And Instagram had agreed. So my my beef wasn't with the person that had complained because fair enough if, if the Harry's face isn't what you want to see I, that's fair enough people can scroll by and ignore it but what they've chosen but Instagram have chosen to support them and not me mm. uh, and so I think Twitter's not my favourite platform I think it can be a little bit like a big school ground where everybody beats each other with sticks and they've got their own little gangs but on that occasion Twitter was phenomenal in terms of supporting me and really getting a positive message out there and did that, did Instagram ever get back to you? Yeah, they did. They Well, they apologised the night before we went on Good Morning Britain. <laughs> Read into that what you will. Yeah, funny that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, funny that. Uh, but yeah, they did. They just said that it was human error and, and they wouldn't make the same mistake again. So I, I just said, okay, fair enough, I'll leave it there. And that was that really. But yeah, it's funny how that one thing that I never expected to be so big has kind of then led to so much more. And I'm a massive believer in everything happening for a reason. 
Uh, and my nan, who's no longer with us, used to say, Harry's been sent to you, Shah, and you'll do great things with that boy. And he'll do great things with you. And I kind of, it feels like it's happening now. I feel like we are making a little bit of a difference and raising some awareness. And if you'd have said to me 12 years ago and the boys were just born, one day you're going to be so in love with a life that you are scared of now, I'd have said no way. You know, I wouldn't have believed it. But now now I am. And yes, it's hard. And yes, it's tough. And yes, there are days, some days when I wish it, it wasn't as hard and tough as it is. But by and large, I'm, I'm grateful every day for the boy that I've got, for both the boys that I've got. That's fantastic. It sounds like you, you've been on quite a journey yourself. Yeah, I think we all, I think every parent goes on a journey. I think mine's just probably got a few more EastEnder moments in it than most. <laughs> <laughs> a, bit, a bit more drama for mine, maybe. Brilliant. So um, just before um, I ask you the final question, just want to say thank you for for everything you do. Um, it sounds like you are really creating a life that... Um, you should be proud of and that uh, you're doing great things with with your blog and, and with the charity that you've set up just tell everyone where they can find you as well so any social media i am our altered life so instagram twitter youtube and facebook uh, the blog is www.ouralteredlife.com and my book is our altered life and that's available on amazon in paperback and on kindle as well yeah, definitely everyone check out the book. You can download the chapter one for free from my blog. So if anybody just wants to see if it's that their kind of style of reading, then they can just um, have a quick read of chapter one for free from my blog. Perfect. So just as a final question then, what would you like the world to know about autism? I, whoa, wow. Okay. Let me think. You might have to edit this gap out because there'll be a large pause. <laughs> what would I like the world to know about autism? I would like the world to know that Autism is a gift in a box you would never expect. It's hard and it's tough, but it it opens a world that very few people get the chance to see. And it is a privilege as much as it is a challenge. Yeah, and I, I would like them to know that it's not something to be feared or mocked or judged, but it, the difference makes us all unique. And that's that's what we need. Just more more of that, really. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Charlie. Thanks for joining us. And uh, Thank you. Pleasure. Everybody, make sure to check out Charlie's blog. Yes, please. <laughs> thank you so much for listening, everyone. I really hope you enjoyed my chat with Charlie as much as I did. As Charlie said, if you want to know more about their family, then you can find them all over social media as R Altered Life. Uh, I definitely recommend checking them out on facebook and instagram you'll get the true insight into what life's like with golden hearts and autism also head over to charlie's website where you can download the first chapter of our book for free i've got it on my kindle and i'm definitely going to be reading it over the next coming weeks if you enjoyed this episode please 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 could you leave us a review on itunes or wherever you downloaded it from I really want to reach as many people in the world as I can and help raise awareness and educate people a little bit more about autism. And your review will really help make that happen. Thanks for listening, and I'll have another story about autism soon.